0: It seems that some of the long-range weather forecasts are calling for a major drop in temps at the beginning of October. Oh, no, it might be the dreaded Arctic vortex coming down. But yeah, uh, some others are calling for it to be warmer than usual. So, yeah, I guess it's good to cover all bases, huh? And But, you know, this is getting to the time. If it is colder, that's going to put a major damper on our uh indoor outdoor plants that are still left outside. So uh, it is getting to be that point where you're going to want to, uh you know, start bringing them inside. I'm not going to put much stock in the forecast. Let's face it. They have not been. Okay. Let's be honest. They haven't been close to being right this year as far as uh, rain and stuff like that goes. So uh they've had a really poor track record this season. But uh, it's still time to bring the uh, plants in, and uh, it you need to do so slowly. Transition them into coming inside. You don't want to bring them straight from outside to inside, uh, and it's best to do it when the outside temps are very close to mimicking the inside temps of your home. That way, there there'll be a lot less shock to the uh, plant. And if uh, you know you're going to bring them into a garage or a three-season room, if at all possible, and you know that's about the best way to do it. And the, when you do that, you want to move them inside and go ahead and treat them with uh, some like insecticidal soap, and you know just to make sure that there's no uh, you know hitchhikers on them uh, coming in uh, any bugs. And while they're outside, if uh, you want to take the chance of leaving them out there for another week or so, you can go ahead and spray them with a regular, you know, uh, contact-killing insecticide, you know, the type that poisons them. But insecticidal soap is a little bit different in the respect that uh, most of them are just made up out of uh, glycerin and water. And the way that they kill the insects is they cover the insect and they smother them to death. Uh, so there is no danger to you know uh, yourself or uh, you know pets or things like that. But you do still need to be careful. Uh, read the label on them because a lot of them do also contain or some of them, and I don't want to say a lot of them do also contain a uh, contact uh, killer, an actual poison. So uh, you know, make sure of that before you go spraying, if especially if you can do it inside your house. And, uh, it's good to get on a schedule with that as well, uh, to go ahead and you give it a sprain, then wait, I'd say, uh, three to five days and give it another sprain. I wouldn't even say three, four to five days and give it another sprain and every four to five days hit it up again. And when you spray the plant, you want to, uh, spray it top, bottom, up underneath the leaves, uh, the stems, the trunk of the plant, the entire plant and uh, that way there, as the any eggs that might still be around hatch, you'll be killing off any of the uh, new offspring before they have a chance to mature to the point of um, laying their own eggs and you know uh, doing any damage to the plant. And it's always good to keep your plants in uh, away from other uh, indoor plants that you have. You know, keep them uh, um, isolated until you can get the spraying done. And after that, it'd be okay to uh, mix them up. But uh, generally, after I'd say five sprains, the chances of uh, any insects' uh, eggs being left are slim to none at that point, and you should have taken care of all generations and they should be fine to incorporate back into your house. Now, I know uh, spraying up underneath uh, some plants can be difficult, uh, like Christmas cactus cactus, and uh, stuff like that, Uh, because the plants are very, very delicate. But you still need to do it, and especially with Christmas cactus, because Christmas cactus can really hide uh, one insect that's notorious for coming into your house on, and that's mealy bugs, and they live underneath the leaf, right along the uh, leaf stem. But very gently pick it up, and again, as long as you're using uh, a insecticidal soap that does not have a true poison to it, it's just glycerin and water. You don't really have to worry about getting your ha- you know stuff on your hands. Uh, if uh, you still worry about it, hey, fine and dandy. Go ahead and wear a pair of uh, you know rubber gloves when you're doing it. No problems there. And uh, go ahead, gently lift up the branches and spray up underneath. And, you know, just make sure you get the entire plant coated. Uh, And then it's okay just to let it air dry. Uh, You may see a little bit of whitish residue left on the leaves. That's okay. Uh, That's to be expected but it's not like a uh, residual type poison that, you know, keeps on doing its job, you know, uh, long after you get done spraying it. Uh, And it's uh, one of the things that we do have to uh, worry about this time of the year, no doubt. And, you know, with fall coming in, uh, fall means so many different things to different people. Uh, it could be, you know, when you say fall to somebody, the first thing that comes to mind, and I hate to say it, but, uh, my old neighbors, uh, they were these type of people where you would say fall and immediately pumpkin spice comes to mind. Yes, I know. Sam's laughing right now. Uh, I'm not a pumpkin spice type person. Uh, But, you know, that's one thing that a lot of people do like. Uh, Other things that come to mind are, hey, horror movies. Uh, You know, it's getting ready for Halloween. Get out those Halloween decorations and, you know, uh, get everything looking, you know, uh, nice for the holiday. Uh, Other people start thinking about, uh, you know, harvest and, uh, you know, getting their uh, vegetables or crops in that they've worked on so hard uh, throughout the season. And uh, you got your hunters out there too, getting ready for hunting season. It's one of the reasons why fall has always been my favorite time of the year. This year, it's not going to be one of the prettiest ones, though, uh, very honestly. Uh, the rain that we're getting right now is not enough and too late uh, for the most part. Uh, the trees have really taken a major beating this year. I mean, full grown trees. Uh, In many areas, especially going up into Onalaska, into Holman, uh, where we missed, you know, some of those uh, earlier storms uh, that came by, we just got a sprinkle. I mean, last week I heard uh, La Crosse and South got uh, pretty decent rain on Saturday. We barely had enough to wet the bottom of the uh, rain gauge. Uh, So most of these uh, rains missed us, unfortunately. And, hey, you know, it is what it is. But we needed those rains to make the uh, colors have a nice striking change this year. And I'll explain why we, you know, why that is needed when I come back. But we're going to have to take a short break. If you got a question about anything that's green or growing, maybe you're thinking about doing some repairs to your lawn, and wondering if you can do that or when is the best time. Or maybe you're looking ahead to popping a garden in next year and you've got a question about how to do, go about doing it. Or you want to do some pruning to trees or shrubs, or you've got a sick-looking house plant. Go ahead and give me a call. number down here at WISM is 608-785-7914. And we will be right back in just a minute. And, oh, yeah, by the way, you can uh, send me a text at that same number, 608-785-7914. And we will be right back. And we are back. And uh, right before the break, I got a a text from a Cindy. And she's like, check out my sunflower. And she sent me a nice picture of her sunflower uh, next to her coffee cup that she gave me for scale. And that's very good, Cindy. Because a lot of times people send me pictures with nothing in them for scale. And I can't tell how big things are and stuff like that. You know how big they might be, but uh, I don't. And this is a nice size uh, bloom loaded with seeds. And I remember one year, uh, I used to grow sunflowers quite a bit. I didn't, I haven't done them for the past couple of years. But uh, sunflowers are a unique type of plant and they're really fun to do with young kids because you can have them plant them and within one year if you do it right and use the right seeds you can grow something as tall as a tree and uh, you have these kids you know the little kids do it and they're like wow I did that and I've always been one for messing around with fertilizers and things like that, different types of fertilizers, over fertilizing certain plants. And, you know, just have my own little experiments to see, you know, how things would turn out. And one year I did that with a uh, group of sunflowers. And actually I knew it. I kind of knew what was going to happen with the plants and we were trying to achieve a purpose with uh, these sunflowers. And the fact was we had some really bothersome next door neighbors and we were living in a condominium at time at the time. And we had, you know, one of those little privacy fences that goes out halfway into the yard. But, you know, the kids next door, they'd be running into our yard and they basically, you know, just didn't care about, The the idea of having a property line did not begin to enter into these kids' heads, nor uh, did they respect anybody else's rights. And we got tired of asking the neighbors, you know, hey, can you keep your kids over on your side? So I figured I'd put up a fence, and I'd do this with plants. So instead of, uh, you know, spacing them apart uh, about, you know, a couple of feet each plant, which is the way you're supposed to do it, I planted some of the giant sunflowers and I did them about six inches apart, right down the property line. And not only did I do that, but we went ahead and (laughs) I was fertilizing these things like every four or five days. And I was using Peters, which you can't over fertilize with. So, you know, it's not, these plants were getting the maximum amount of growth that they could possibly achieve. I was looking out of my upstairs window, literally at the flowers of these plants, and uh, yeah, they grew big, made a beautiful fence, and uh, we actually had to use a uh, saw, and the machete wouldn't work on them, and we had to wind up using a saw to cut them down. Come uh, you know uh, fall, and then we used uh, the stalks of these things. Uh, the, that year for, you know, putting up our Halloween decorations. They work fantastic, so we had a dual purpose there. And But the one thing that sunflowers are really, really good for is it, if you don't eat the seeds yourself, which you can. I mean, they're very good-tasting seeds, the same things as you buy in the store. No salt on them, of course, but, uh, you know, the, the same uh, seeds as you buy in the store. And you can go ahead and save them and eat them, try them out and eat them. Uh, but th- what I used to do with them is I would cut them, uh, the blooms off with about, oh, say a foot of stalk, uh, after the, uh, bloom. And that way there I could thread the, uh stalk because up at the top, it's a lot more malleable and flexible. I would, uh uh, weave it into the lattice work of a, uh, kind of like a gazebo type thing I built in my backyard, uh, an archway or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, we'd put the flowers out there and, uh, the birds would love them. And we stored them in the shed that year. And we had a bunch of them. Oh Lord. We had a bunch of those things. And every so often I'd go out and, you know, after the one, you know, a flower head would be picked clean. I'd, you know, stick another one in its place. And it's really good for uh, bringing birds in during the uh, fall and the uh, winter. The uh, birds love the sunflower seeds. And you get the chickadees up there. You have blue jays land in, cardinals, you, you name it. They'd be hitting them up. So they're great for attracting birds. Uh, they're great for making a short-term privacy fence, like I said. Uh, and, uh, you couldn't drive a car through these things. I mean, at the base, uh, that year, the base of these, uh, stalks was, I'd say a good three, maybe even some of them got up to about four inches across down at the, uh, ground level. Uh, and for all intents and purposes, they were wood. <laughs> you couldn't even get through them. So, uh, they made a really nice privacy fence, which was nice. Okay, Uh, if you got a question about anything green or growing, please go ahead and give me a call or shoot me a text. The number down here at Wisdom is 608 785 7914. And let's see, what else did I want to cover here? Yeah, uh, you never know how the, if the, when the meteorologists are going to get back on track. uh, personally, I would welcome having a cold spell coming up in the next few weeks and have it stay cold, too. And I, one of these uh, long-range forecasts that I was checking out actually had snow uh, towards the end of the first week of October. And the next one I looked at had it in the upper 70s, so, you know, who knows which one's going to be right. Uh, I honestly don't... Their track record, like I said, has not been all that great, so who knows? Uh, personally, I think I put better stock in, uh, you know, checking out the woolly bear, uh, caterpillars and you know, how much red compared to orange are they? Uh, and that does a pretty good job at predicting the winter, but I'll give them a bit of a break. I know this uh, year with the El Nino has been really crazy with, uh, wild weather patterns that, you know, do not normally occur. So, you know, it's, you know, partially not their fault because, hey, in my job, I knew that if I did A, B would happen. And if I didn't do it, uh, C and D might happen. Uh, With weather, you know, there's so many other things that are affecting it. So uh, they have no control over, you know, whether or not they're going to come true. Uh, uh, they're giving it their best guess for uh, most part. So uh, I don't want to give them too much grief, but uh, yet, uh, uh, make sure that we take care of our plants before bringing them inside the house. I covered that one already. Oh, this is something else I heard this past week along the same uh, note that, uh, there's this thing going around that. You, all you need to do when you bring your plants in from outside is dip them into water. And that will get rid of all the little creepy crawlies that are on them. And while this may actually work to get rid of some of them, and I'm not saying it's not going to work, but it's not going to get rid of all of them. and It's more than likely not going to get rid of all of them, and it's going to do nothing to the eggs. So you, that's something that you need to be really careful about. And it's yeah, actually the eggs that, uh, that wind up doing more damage because they'll, if you don't uh, hit them on a preventative basis, like I was saying, get on that schedule for spraying the plants, uh, then you're going to get these little critters uh, loose inside your house. And you don't want that going into the wintertime and when going into the holidays is busy enough. You don't have to be worrying about your plants at that point. Okay, that's going to take us uh, to our 10.30 break. We'll be right back here at 1410 WIZM and the Plant Doctor Show in just a couple of minutes. Take care of a little bit of news, a little bit of business. But if you got a question about anything green or growing, please go ahead and give me a call. number down here at WISM is 608-785-7914. And you can shoot me a text on that number as well. Ah, out of breath, I had to run out to the car to make sure that uh, I shut the windows. Yeah, uh, it looks like we are about to get um, a decent little uh, thunderstorm uh, coming into La Crosse and on Alaska area right now. So, oh, oh, that was a quick run. Uh, uh, let's see what we were talking about. Uh, things to get ready for the uh, fall, and one thing that we started talking about last week that I did want to finish up talking about this week too is uh, the Asian uh, beetles and the box elder bugs. And the Asian beetles are different than the uh, box or the Asian beetles are different than ladybugs. They are a different species. And a lot of times people get the, since it's the term Asian uh, beetle is uh, used, they think of the Japanese beetle and that's not necessarily the case. Uh, It's actually not the case. They are two separate insects altogether. Uh, The Asian beetles are, they look a lot more like ladybugs. There are slight differences in them, uh, but the biggest difference is ladybugs don't bite like (laughs) the Asian beetles do. Uh, And they can, those bugs can really take a chunk out of you. I know, uh, you know, some people get more hit by them than others. If you're out in, uh, you know, a farming area or something like that, you're a lot more uh, likely to be getting hammered by them than if you live in town. But even still some homes in town get nailed by them. And nobody is immune from the box elder bugs. Uh, they hit in town. They're, they don't care if you're a townie. They don't care if you're a, uh, you know, comes uh, country folk. Uh, they are not particular. They're going to go to your house no matter what. And the reason why they're so bad in this area is, well, first off, uh, the Asian Beatles were one of the first attempts to, uh, be green uh very honestly uh after the uh, ddt scare back in the early 60s uh a lot of the farmers and stuff you know they were wanting to be you know good to the environment and also since the one of the major chemicals was taken off the shelf ddt would now we're not going to get into that but that was a big bunch of baloney but uh, the farmers uh, had you know come up with another way of you know tr- going after the insects that were hitting their crops and the alfalfa growers heard of these uh bugs that just uh, they knock the heck out of uh these you know uh, bugs hitting the alfalfa crops uh it was like an aphid that was uh, going after them and it were these little ladybugs that they can import and bring in and they were right they did an outstanding job now But the one thing is, uh, and this is a little bit different than, uh, it's almost the exact opposite of what happened with the honeybees. The honeybees uh, were brought here to make honey from Europe. And since they were new to this area, uh, they had no uh, defense against, you know, some of the funguses and no... They didn't have any immunity to any of these new diseases that were coming up over here, so uh, the bees died off every year. That's why we have a honeybee issue right now. Uh, they haven't been in this area for long enough for them to evolve into, you know, uh, something that will, you know, not die off every year. You know, they were brought here in 1622 and i'm sorry but 400 years is not enough to uh you know for evolution to make a uh, big time change uh but the asian beetles were the exact opposite uh they came over here and they're hardy little uh, guys and not only were they not affected by any diseases and funguses that we have over here, their natural predators were also not present. Uh, So things that would keep them in check over in Asia, we don't have here. So their numbers flourished, which in the beginning was great news to these farmers because, you know, you bring in, say, just for the sake of uh, discussing it, They bring in 100 of these uh, critters and let them loose. And they're prolific little critters, so uh, that 100 quickly becomes, you know, uh, 300. Then it becomes 1,000, and it becomes 10,000, 100,000, millions. And uh, their populations exploded exponentially. Now, over in Asia, they would go to uh, geographic hotspots, Uh, geothermically heated uh, areas for the winter. And they're one of the few bugs that don't die off over the winter. And they would crawl down into geyser vents and into, you know, cracks and crevices uh, by volcanoes, any place where it was warm. And that's where they'd overwinter at. Well, we get here to Wisconsin, and guess what we're fresh out of around this area? Volcanoes. I hate when that happens now, uh, since we don't have any volcanoes in that area and these little critters sense heat and, you know, they're up there flying around and they can see heat, you know, a warm area out in front of them. They're attracted to our homes and, uh, they, what they naturally do when they fly up to the side of a mountain or what have you, you know, back in ages, they'd start, you know, following little cracks and nooks and crannies and stuff like that. And they'd keep crawling, and going deeper and deeper in, until I found a place where they could overwinter at that would stay above freezing. And uh, here, that's our houses. And not only do they cover the outside of our homes uh, come fall, but they like to crawl inside the houses and I'm sorry, unless you've got one of these brand new airtight homes, these critters are going to find a way in it's, they will find any weakness and, and exploit it. Uh, if you live in one of the older farmhouses, I mean, <laughs> those things were anything but airtight. And if air can get in, these critters can get in, trust me. And they'd crawl onto our walls and eventually come out into our living spaces. Uh, we had them so bad down in Coon Valley uh, that there, one corner of our ceiling, we could not see. It, it was literally that many of those critters. And I wound up taking a shop vac and vacuuming these uh, things down from the ceiling. It was too many just to spray them. Because I didn't want, you know, thousands of uh, these stupid little bugs dropping down dead. And, you know, then they'd be in our furniture and the rug, the upholstery, get down into our electronics. Uh, No, (laughs) I wanted to get rid of these things. So I vacuumed them up into a shop vac. And then I noticed that after I was done doing this, that they were crawling back out of my shop vac. And, yeah, (laughs) if they're not killed, they're going to crawl right back up and out of those uh, lines. So the best thing that you can do is vacuum them up. If you're using a regular vacuum cleaner and hose attachment, make sure you take the bag out and put it in your garbage pail. Wrap it up inside of a uh, garbage bag, knot it shut, and uh, you know dispose of it. Uh, just don't twist tight, you know, twist it up and think it's going to be uh, shut tight enough because they will get out. They are horrible for that. Oh, it looks like we have a caller coming in, so let's go ahead and jump to the phone lines. We've got two open ones, too, at 608-785-7914. And let's see here. Uh, good morning. You're on the Plant Doctor Show. Who's this? Hey, this is Steve. Hey, Steve. How's it going?
1: Okay. So I live on Lake Onalaska. I mean, literally on Lake Onalaska. So I'm always concerned with anything that I'm applying to the lawn with, that it get you don't want to use something that's going to get into the lake and do any harm. Okay. So I've got weeds. Mm -hmm. What would I be, what could I use for, for, for weeds that wouldn't be a problem for the lake?
0: Ah, that is a good and tough question. Uh, because most of your herbicides, uh, will harm fish. Uh, if you know, they're applied, uh, down to the water. Now, what I will say is if, They're applied correctly, and you keep them, uh, and depending on the herbicide, if you uh, read, it'll say do not apply uh, within 10 feet of uh, water, uh, 40 feet of water, or something like that. There's different uh, rules that uh, commercial applicators have to go by than homeowners do. You have to follow the uh, labels explicitly uh so do commercial applicators but we also had other laws that we had to follow too so uh read the label of any uh, pesticide and see how close you can get up to you know a body of water now a lot of these things they are made so they do not leach anymore uh, or leaching is kept to a minimum and that means that when it rains you know they're flushed down to the soil down to the water table and, uh, you know, uh, go out into the lake, what have you. Now they're made to adhere, uh, and so they're a lot less likely to do that. But again, make sure you read the label, uh, because different sprays have different, uh, warnings on them. And okay. you should go by that. There is no good weed control out there that will not have this type of an effect. And if you start going the old uh, wives tale things about, okay, well I know somebody that mixed up uh, uh, vinegar and borax and this and that, and the other thing and sprayed on the weeds and it knocked them right out. It may have happened for that one person, but more than likely it was because we're going to a drought at the same time. (laughs) Most of those things don't work. So I wouldn't go by those at all. Okay.
2: Yeah. I mean, the,
1: The best thing is the Armstrong weed killer, which is you use your arms and you get real strong pulling them out.
0: Yep. Uh, You know, I've never heard that one before, and that's a good one. I'm going to have to use that one myself.
1: (laughs) Okay. It's not copyrighted. You can use it. Thank you. Well, thank you very much.
0: Okay. You have a great day now. You too. Bye. Bye -bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, that goes for uh, herbicides, insecticides, even fungicides. You need to be careful about them uh, drifting away from uh, your target areas especially if you live on the lake. Uh, where I'm moving to uh, is right on Lake Onalaska as well, uh, one of the tributaries to it. So it's something that I'm going to have to get used to as well and uh, you know, just make doubly sure that you know any sprays are not going to get down there. I know I've got some uh, poison ivy uh, that's coming up the hillside that I definitely want to knock back and uh, keep it away from the house. Uh, I'm going to have to make sure and do it very, very carefully. And another thing to keep in mind, too, is make sure the wind isn't blowing towards the water. Uh, that always helps quite a bit. Okay, we've got one more caller coming in. and A couple open lines, 608-785-7914 is the number. Good morning, you're on the Plant Doctor Show. Who is this?
1: Yes, my name is John. Hey, John. And got- I've got a couple of different questions. First one is... Fertilizer for the fall. Okay. I think you normally say Memorial Day, uh Fourth of July, Labor Day, and Halloween.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's correct. Was
1: that you I heard that from or someone else?
0: That would be me.
1: Okay. Anyhow, when I applied mine at the Fourth of July, my uh, cedar there, the broadcaster, whatever the mm-hmm. little push thing, yeah, uh, that spreader, uh, puts spreader, thank you, uh, puts it down there. Apparently, it's not functioning, it came with the house when I bought it,
2: mm-hmm. so
1: it has since gone away. But I over applied number two mm. it, to the point where it killed the grass. I could tell oh, no. where the spreader had gone,
2: okay. so.
1: I have, have so far, I've skipped number three. Should Hmm. I or keep going? I mean, the grass is coming back now.
0: Okay, it's coming back. Uh, I think you could probably go ahead and uh, do it. Uh, it, It's not 100% necessary. Uh, This fertilization is a dormant fertilization uh, for the most part. Uh, I know most of them have some quick-release nitrogen in them. But uh, for the most part, this fertilizer is uh, made up of uh, a higher uh, percentage of uh, potash, uh, which is barely even in the earlier fertilizers and uh, because that goes towards root growth. As the top of the plants grow uh, dormant during the uh, fall, that's the most active rate of growth. The most active rate of growth for the plant, though, happens in the fall after that. But it's happening below the ground for the roots. And uh, that's what we're trying to feed into at that point. And that's where the potash comes into play. Uh, if you're really worried about pushing any more nitrogen, which is what burned off the lawn to begin with, uh, by overfertilizing it, you can go ahead and you could actually spread straight uh, potash. You can pick it up over at the uh, co-op. It's uh, like zero. And that'd
1: probably be a good idea, correct?
0: Yeah, uh, I've got no issues doing that. In fact, I've done it to uh, a lot of times uh, when you're doing uh, trying to change like old pasture areas into uh, lawn. You go out and you just pump it full of nitrogen during the season. And then the last uh, application, which is, you know, this one, you go out there and you hammer it with potash. And uh, to get the roots really uh, down nice and deep. And uh, it's you can actually turn pasture grass into lawn grass by doing that. So I've wow. got no issues doing that. Uh, well, that's not the only thing it takes. But uh, actually, if you right. drive by the uh, uh, Gunderson in Onalaska, the clinic, uh-huh. that giant yep. field out there, that was done that way. Yep, That was not seeded. That yep. was actually... Uh, Farm grass that was done in that manner. So uh, that'll give me an idea how well it, you know, can work. Now, sure, it is a very, very good idea. I would not put it down at any more than one pound per thousand square feet if you're using straight potash.
1: Okay, Okay.
0: that's more than sufficient. And now, go ahead.
1: Oh, I've got another question, but I was going to let you finish.
0: Okay, go ahead. I'm, I, I would pretty much finish that up. Um,
1: I, I have some areas I want to reseed. Mm-hmm. Will the potash be good along with that, or do I keep the potash out of those areas?
0: Okay, uh, it's not going to hurt that area. Let's put it like that. Uh, but it doesn't have what new seed is needing. Uh, those areas, you need to have something high in phosphorus. And if uh, you look at any uh, place that's selling uh, fertilizer, uh, the only uh, lawn fertilizer, the only uh, lawn fertilizers that will have phosphorus in it. And that's the middle number. Like if it's 32, 10, 28, say, that 10 is the phosphorus number. Uh, it's okay. against the law to spread that to sell fertilizer in this area that has phosphorus in it uh, because it leaches into the rivers. But it's needed for new seed. And uh, seed starter fertilizers will have it. And it will usually have a higher number, which is fine because it's all going to get utilized anyhow. So uh, at that point, I would go ahead and run a, uh, you know, just a standard starter fertilizer and you should be good. Okay. Okie doke.
1: Not a problem. I appreciate your time.
0: Uh, No problems, John. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the call. You have a great day. Thank you. Bye bye. You too. And uh, let's see. That gives us one more caller, uh, one more text, too. But let's get to the caller first. Good Good morning, morning. Erin. Plant Doctor Show. Who's this?
2: Yeah, this is Don.
0: Hey, Don. What can I do for you?
2: Well, I got another question about this reseeding thing that uh, my lawn took a course of beating with the heat, and I didn't put any weed and feed on. Uh, early this summer, which I usually do, but so I got overrun by de- by uh, weeds this year. Mm-hmm. And when I finally did get rid of the weeds, I uh, found out that it killed <laughs> the, the grass. And yeah. so how I would like to reseed, uh, re-seed especially by boulevards, okay. uh, they took the biggest beating. And I was just wondering... After you reseed, uh, do you immediately water that down so the seeds don't blow away, or what's, what's the deal?
0: Okay, great question, Don. Now, uh, quick answer is, any seed that's left on the surface of soil is to be considered bird food. Uh, just throwing grass seed on top of the uh, dirt, does you're feeding the birds. Uh, so you have to work the uh, top layer of soil. Uh, you can do that with a uh, dethatcher, uh, you know, turn it to its uh, lowest setting. So it's, you know, stirring up the oil, uh, the oil, you're stirring up the soil. Uh, or you can do it with a core aerator uh, where it's bringing up the plugs. Or you can do it simply with a steel rake and, you know, scratch little furrows into the uh, soil.
2: Is, is it necessary to do that?
0: Yes. And if you're not going to be putting down uh, more topsoil, Yes. Uh, like I said, anything that's sitting on top of the ground is bird food. Uh,
2: if you put the uh, if you put the uh, seed the new seed down after reseeding and cover it with uh, topsoil, is uh, would, would that work?
0: Generally, yes. Uh, now, if you've got a thick thatch layer that's left over from uh, your old uh, grass, you're gonna want to get rid of that though, uh, because I, the roots might have an issue going through that. But if it's very thin. I wouldn't worry. Now, uh, once you go ahead and cover it over, yes, uh, it you can water it in. But that being said, uh, you don't have to. Uh, the only time that you have to water it is after it germinates. And once it starts growing, you have to water it until the ground freezes. Okay?
2: Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much.
0: No problem, Don. You have a great day. Yep. And that's going to take us uh, to our final break, uh, take care of a little bit of news and some weather or some uh, business and some weather, and we'll be right back. And let's see, I had uh, one last question here that I'd like to get to uh, really quickly. Uh, don't have any more time for phone calls, so I'm not even going to give out the phone number, but it is uh, good morning. Is it too late in the season to apply a systemic uh, insecticide for ash borer? Also, uh, recommended cutting height for uh, lawns uh, during the fall. Okay, as far as the ash borer goes, nope, no problem at all. Go for it. It's a great time to get in, and especially if we're going to be, if you're doing a uh, ground wrench or what have you, go ahead and do it now because you're going to need to water the tree. (laughs) If uh, your tree hasn't been being watered at all, I would say don't do it. But uh, right now, the plants are going to be sucking up water like a sponge. Uh, And so fantastic time for putting it down. Uh, And as far as uh, cutting heights go for lawn, uh, let me take you through the entire year. Spring, you want to uh, start off low, uh, about an inch and a half to two inches. Go into the summer. uh, Early summer, you want to go from two inches up to about three uh late summer three and a half to four going into the fall bring it back down to about two inches so we're right there right now down to about two inches cooler weather and uh more normal rains hopefully we're getting into that pattern uh will allow us to do that uh if it's goes back into another drought though don't cut please uh, going towards the end of the fall, you can bring it down to about an inch and a half. Then the last cutting of the season, you know, after the grass has gone dormant, uh, you can actually cut it very low, and you can go as low as you can without scalping the plants and, uh, you know, cutting off uh, areas of soil. Uh, that's too low. But your uh, best-case scenario, if you can get it down to about a half an inch, that would be fantastic, but most of the time you can't.